This is the Peter Creek Presbyterian Church Podcast. Here at Peter Creek, we honor God by making more disciples for Jesus Christ. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged with this week's message from Pastor Kelly Baldridge. This morning, we are beginning with the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty. Now, a creed is a short summary statement uh, containing what we believe as Christians. Now, the word creed itself comes from a word that originally meant, I believe. That's what creed means. I believe. That's why we begin. I believe. The first evidence of the Apostles' Creed is uh, during the 7th or 8th century, but the forms take us back to the 4th or 5th century itself. The Creed contains basic truths concerning Christianity. How does Christianity differ from other religions? A creed, in that sense, answers that question. And so we are making known by this statement our belief in God. And though it is very much countercultural to say those first four words, I believe in God. We need to acknowledge something beyond that. We're not saying, I believe in a God. We're not saying that we believe in a possibility of a God. But we are saying we believe in a particular God who is the God, the God of heaven and earth, the God who is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we believe in the God of the Bible. He is not one of the Hindu gods. He is not the God of the Muslim. He's not the God of Buddha, or at least I should say, the God that they, or gods that they, would espouse. But he is ultimately their God because he is still sovereign over them and he is still the creator of the Hindus, of the Muslims in the sense that he has made them. He is God. And if he is not their God in that sense, he is not God. But the divide is between those who worship God and those who worship idols, false gods, images of God. Now, Paul the Apostle in Acts 17 addresses some of those worshipers of false gods in the Areopagus recorded here in verses 22 through 31. So let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on the reading of his word. Most gracious Father, we come in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and we seek your Spirit's help as we look to your word May you guide us to the truth. For we ask this in Jesus' name, and amen. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, 
being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. We do not say the Apostles' Creed every Lord's Day, in fact, there were 107 Lord's Days that we went through the Shorter Catechism together professing the truth that is found within it. But now, most Sundays, we profess the Apostles' Creed, just as we did today. And we might have the tendency to say it as rote memorization. We may have the tendency, if we read it still, that's fine, but we may have the tendency to just not really think about the truth that is actually contained in it. And so there's a problem with professing, I believe in God and not actually, not really knowing who this God is. It's not enough to know about God. We are called to know God. Your greatest need in life, friends, is not simply to believe that there is a God, but you need to know who this God is. Now, R.C. Sproul, who is with the Lord, uh, once said that this is not for the person who needs to come to Christ, but this is a message for Christians as well. What is the greatest need of every Christian's life? To know God, to know who he is. Sproul said, Unfortunately, a flea could wade in the depth of knowledge about God in the mind of an average Christian. Ooh, that hurts. But it's very much true. He goes on to say there's a famine in the knowledge of God in general and the knowledge of God the Father in particular. So as we begin a study on the Apostles' Creed, we begin with the need for you and I to dedicate ourselves to knowing God, to be able to say, I believe, not as just something that we say from week to week, but something that we know and believe and trust in our hearts, not only in our minds, but we need to dedicate ourselves to knowing God, and in particular, the God of the Bible, because that is how God has revealed himself to man. So today, we want to think about three words, God, Father, Almighty. 
first considered God. Do you notice in verse 23, Paul said, For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Paul addressed these idol worshipers by appealing to their belief in the existence of God. They were religious, it says. They believed in God. They believed that there was a God. He doesn't try to prove that God exists to them. Instead, he shows them that they have taken the revelation of God, what God has shown about himself, and they have messed it up. They have scattered it. They have changed it. They have confused it. And so God exists whether you know him or not. God exists whether you can comprehend him or not. God exists whether you understand and grasp him fully or not. God exists whether you believe in him or not. He is and he does. And so the question is not whether you believe in God, but do you believe God? Not whether you know of God, but do you know God? So who is this God? First, we understand that God has revealed himself. Paul hints at this in verse 24, when he calls him in, verse 24, the Lord of heaven and earth. The Lord of heaven and earth. The term Lord is a term in the New Testament that refers to the name of God in the Old Testament. That for a Jew, hearing the word Lord would remind them of Yahweh. Here is Yahweh, the Lord. And so what Paul is saying here is that here is the Lord of heaven and earth. Here is the covenant God of Israel. But for these who are not Israelites, for these who are pagans, who worshiped false gods, uh, this name of God may be lost on them, but yet at the same time, it's not lost on us. God has revealed himself, and he has revealed himself by sharing with us his name. If you recall in Exodus chapter 3, Moses asked, who's sending me? Who shall I tell the Israelites that is sending me to, to, to bring them out of captivity, out of slavery, and into freedom, into the land that you have promised? And what does God say is his name? I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. This is the name of the Lord, Yahweh speaks to his almightiness. I am who I am. As J.I. Packer said, he cannot be hindered from being what he is and doing what he does. He is the I am. Nothing stops him. Nothing puts him in his place because he is who he is. And nothing can hinder what he does and who he is. So God reveals himself with his name. But God's revelation of his name is also a revelation of of who he is, his attributes. For instance, uh, Sproul gives this example. Uh, He was teaching a college class and there was a young lady named Mary who comes in and she has a shiny new ring on. What does that mean? Well, she had a good weekend, didn't she? She was engaged. And so Dr. Sproul used this Uh, as a a time to teach a lesson. And so he asked her, 
Mary, did you just get engaged? Of course, she answered positively, happily. And so he asked, would you mind if I inferred from the fact that you were engaged to John, that you were also in love with John? She agreed. And he asked, why do you love John? Well, Mary enthusiastically responded to him, to Dr. Sproul, about John being handsome. He is handsome. And Dr. Sproul looks in the back of the room and says, well, do you think Billy back there is handsome? Billy was just considered the the homecoming king on campus because he is the one who escorted the homecoming queen. Do you think Billy is handsome? Well, Mary said, of course, he is handsome. Well, so then, there's got to be more than being handsome. Why do you love John? And she says that, well, John is athletic. Well, Billy is in the back, and what is he wearing? But a varsity jacket with three sports that he is lettered in. So, Mary, it must be more. What is it now? Well, Mary said, well, he's intelligent. And Dr. Sproul looks back at Billy, who is also the president of the Academic Honor Society on campus. Oh, what about Billy? Is he intelligent? And of course, Mary has to respond, yes, he is. Well, now, oh, he's intelligent, he's athletic, and he's handsome. Also, Mary, being frustrated, says, well, he's also courteous. And then Dr. Sproul says, Mary, are you saying that Billy is rude? And she says, oh, of course not. And then he says, well, what is it, Mary? Tell us definitely and precisely why you love John. And she says, well, because he's, because he's, well, he's John. Because he's John. So you understand that, don't you? Uh, that's what we do. I mean, if someone asks you the same question, why do you love this person? Why do you love them? You give them attributes, but they're the same attributes that other people have. Well, why do we love God? Because he's God. And when you see and hear of God, his attributes come with him. That is who he is. Just to name his name allows us to see who God is. That's how God has revealed himself. I am who I am. So for the Christian, when we say we believe in God, it's not a belief in God in general, but a belief in the God who is I am who I am, a belief in the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is one God. And when we say we believe in God the Father Almighty, we believe in that particular God and all that he is. Secondly, he is Father. His Father. We see this in verses 28 and 29, for in Him we live and move and have our being. And then Paul actually goes to their poets, the Greek poets, and, and he speaks from them and says, for we are indeed His offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. So Paul here is appealing to their poets to demonstrate the truth that God is the Father of all the living. We read in Psalm 100 as our call to worship, 
In verse three, it says, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. He is the creator and we are dependent upon him. That's what it means to understand God as father. In verse 25, it says that this God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives, all, gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He is outside of us and he is outside of being dependent upon anything. God does not require you. He does not require us. For us to be his servants here, even in this place, God does not need Peter Creek Presbyterian Church. But I'll tell you, Peter Creek Presbyterian Church needs him. But God himself is the one who is independent of us. He is creator and he has made us. And because he has made us, we are dependent upon him. So when we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, just as we are dependent upon our dads as young children, we are dependent upon God. But we are dependent upon God not only when we were young, but when we lay down for that final rest we are still and always dependent upon him. But he is also his father, creator. And so we are accountable to him. We are accountable to him. He is father and father knows best. In verses 29, we see being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. There's a word about worship. How should we worship God? Should we worship God with an image? No. Should we worship God uh, with our thoughts and our own conniving and our own ways? No. God has revealed to us how to worship him. God has revealed what we are to do in worship. So we worship him as he has commanded us. In verse 30, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. He is a creator, not a creator. I should say he is the creator and we are accountable to him. This is a scary doctrine as well as a humbling one because what Paul is doing here is he is speaking about judgment. He is speaking about the truth that this God who reigns has appointed one to be judge and that is Jesus Christ and he will judge. So to consider God as father and to understand that all human beings belong to him as his children. Now, I'm not saying that all human beings belong to him as children who are adopted into his spiritual family, but he is the creator, and so we are his. But Malachi helps us to understand this even better. In Malachi 2.10 says this, Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers. 
The prophet is not here validating that we're all God's people and that we all should get along because of that. Instead, the prophet is telling us that since God is our father by making us, by creating us, we ought not think that we can abuse those that he has created. He has made you and he has made your neighbor. Do not abuse your neighbor because God made your neighbor and he made you. Because God is Father, in other words, we are accountable to Him. That means, friends, you and I ought to obey Him. We live under His command. What He has told us to do is what we ought to do. How He's described for us in His Word to live as Christians, we are to live. And as judge, he will judge us. You may not call God Father, but you will still be accountable to him as such, and therefore you are to obey him. He is Father. And as Father, we also see the beauty of this, that in this passage, Paul still points us to the fact that our Father provides salvation. He provides hope. Paul spoke of the necessity of repentance in verse 30, and he gives the reason for this repentance as it relates to a particular individual. Notice how he says it. The time of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Repent. But then he says, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and that is Jesus Christ. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The one who has been raised from the dead lives. And just as we profess even in the Apostles' Creed, he is coming again to judge the living and the dead. But there is here a glimmer, a glimpse, a a light shining in the darkness that gives us hope, that gives us salvation, that he is our Father and he gives us Grace, he gives us a way of salvation, and it is in Jesus Christ, his Son. And because we are identified with him, that is the Lord Jesus, we have hope. Because as we're united to him, on the cross, we were judged. Our sins have been paid for. We've been reconciled to God. We call him Father by his Spirit. And so, in John 1, it speaks of him. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I believe in God the Father Almighty. He is God the Father of our Savior, and He is God our Father through Christ. Then lastly, He is Almighty. In verse 24, it says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth. What might, what power, what strength, what glory is due Him? Because He is this God who has made everything, heaven, and in earth. 
He is this God. But then in verse 25, Paul also tells us what he is not. He is not served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Again, he does not need us. We do not make him who he is. He is who he is without us and on his own. I'm not going to take time to tease this out philosophically, but I want you to see that our God is much bigger and greater than you could ever think or imagine. He doesn't have some might or a little bit of might or a little bit of power, but he is powerful not only in one area, but he is all might. He is all powerful. He is almighty. And so we say, I believe in God the Father almighty. This is a profession of comfort and hope for the God that you believe in, the God that you trust is the God who is in control. In our upside-down, topsy-turvy world where we cannot trust the news, we cannot trust our government from time to time, we cannot trust what's happening, we can trust God. We can trust Him. We can hope in Him. The world around us will fail us, but God will not let up, and He will not fail us. We can trust him. That's the message over and over of scripture is to trust God, to believe in him, to hope in him. He is the God who holds you. And he's the God who holds everything else as well in his hand. Now the question is, for you, Christian, do you know this God you profess? Do you know him? Do you know this God that you say that you believe in? Some might try to cop out of this and say, well, God is beyond comprehension. When we ask him, well, what do you believe about God? What do you think about God? Oh, I couldn't ever imagine, I couldn't ever think about what he is. You might try to sound humble and proclaim that God is beyond what you could grasp. And for some, it is true humility. But for others, I think we're being lazy. For sometimes the reason we do not know God and the reason we can't go deeper is not because of lack of brain power or a lack of smarts or a lack of time. It's because simply we are slothful. And beyond that is because we're uninterested. And beyond that, we're uninterested because we do not know God. Because if we have a taste of who God is, the only thing that you're going to want is more of him. I'm not saying if you put your mind to it, you can know him in his fullness. I'm not saying that you and I can come together and form a committee or whatever we need to do and figure out all this is to know or all there is to know about God. He is beyond what we can think, or imagine. But the only way we know that is actually by learning who he is. And so there's a sense for us today that we ought to devote ourselves to him and to learning who he is. And let me ask you, 
Has God revealed who he is to us? Indeed he has. In his word. In his word. God stooped down to us. And he writes to us in his word. Wasn't planning on sharing with this, this with you, but I started last week um, uh, teaching Greek to my niece. She is homeschooled now, and the class that she really wanted was biblical Greek. You and I are thinking, wow, that's pretty impressive. And you're thinking, Greek? Oh, well, it's all Greek to me. We make that joke, don't we? But here's the deal. You have to understand something about biblical Greek. Biblical Greek at the time was hillbilly. Biblical Greek is the common language of the people. In other words, when God wrote his word, he wrote it in such a way that anyone and everyone could understand. So you and I may not have biblical Greek as our second language or our first language, but those fishermen that followed him around sure did. And they knew what Jesus was talking about. And they knew what the Spirit was enabling them to write. And so for those early readers of the Greek New Testament, they understood that God had come to them and he had spoken to them in their own words, in their own idioms, in their own phrases, in the common language. And what does that mean for you and I? Well, that as we approach God's word in our own language, that he has given us his word to reveal himself to us so that we would know him. Now, I'm going to give you some practical application today. Something that we all need to take part in. And this may sound silly, so bear with me. But I actually don't think it's that silly. I, I want you to take one day this week Start with one day. I'd love for you to do more. But take one day this week, just one day, and put your phone or computer down. If you have Facebook, I need you to spend as much time in God's Word for one day than you do on Facebook. Now, some of you may not have Facebook. Uh, some of you are giving it up like I am. But maybe there are other things that you devote yourself to. I need you to cut out days of our lives. Is that still on? And spend that hour in the Word of God. Maybe even add to that general hospital or whatever it is that you watch. Take that time and devote yourself to reading the Scriptures and take a pen and a paper and write down what you learn about God. We do not know God because of the lack of time. We do not know God often because we are not interested in him and have allowed ourselves to be more interested in other things. And so in this application, let me give you the reasons why I say this. It takes 25 minutes per day to read the Bible through at a kind of an average pace in six months. In six months, if you read every day for 25 minutes a day, you can read the whole Bible through. 
People spend two and a half hours a day in, on average on social media. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. But in two and a half hours a day, you can read the whole Bible in one month. One month. It's not about time. It's about whether you want to know God. Do you want to know him? And because you're here today, I know this for true. He sure wanted to know you. And he saved you. And he has saved you so that you would know him and then live to make him known. So may we devote our time to the God who saved us. Now I can tell you this, and I hate to end on such a silly statement, but Facebook has never saved you. God is the one who saves. Let's know him. Let's pray. Most gracious Father, we rejoice in our Savior. And Father, would you forgive us for spending so many countless hours with nonsensical things that only clutter our minds and our affections. And instead of having an affection and a mind for you, oh, we are so focused on so many other details in life that do not matter. Help us develop a love for you and a love for your word. And so, God, we ask that you would strengthen us in Jesus Christ so that when we proclaim, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, we are proclaiming the one that not only do we know about, but the one that we know. So we thank you, Father. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask us. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If God has used this message to influence you or you would like more information about our church, connect with us on the Peter Creek Presbyterian Church Facebook page. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages from Pastor Kelly Baldridge.